Please remain standing for this morning's scripture. I'll be reading from Exodus 23. We're continuing on at Sinai, where God is continuing to speak the law to Moses. Do not spread false reports. Do not help a guilty person by being a malicious witness. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. And do not show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. Do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. Have nothing to do with a false charge and do not put an innocent or honest person to death. For I will not acquit the guilty. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twist the words of the innocent. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners, because you were foreigners in Egypt. For six years you are to sow your fields and the harvest crops. But during the seventh year let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. Be careful to do everything I have said to you. Do not invoke the names of other gods. Do not let them be heard on your lips. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. As I reflected on these commands this week in preparation for this morning, I reflected back to my early years as an attorney. When I began practicing law, I took the approach that most attorneys do, and I worked in a firm here in town. And working for one of the senior partners in the firm, I would spend a lot of my days going back and forth between my office and his. See, I would sit in his office and get directives on how to proceed in my work, case law to work on, specific things to do. And in the beginning, everything seemed foreign. He would use phrases and words like LLC or island or summary judgment or letters of testamentary or admitting things to probate. Letters that rung a bell from school but required me to quickly write down everything that I had heard and then go review the law books to remember what those things were, how they applied, and what I was actually doing with them. And then from those meetings, he gave me specific directives on things to do on certain case files, specific actions to take, documents to prepare, things to file. Those I wrote furiously, trying to get every word just right to know the specific actions I was to take. And then I would head back to my office and begin on this work. Early on in my time at the firm, I didn't get very far in most of these assignments before I ran into another question or situation that he had not given me a specific directive on. So I would head back down the hall to my boss's office where I would have follow-up questions on what these things meant. This would often lead to more terms I didn't understand and more law I had to look up but every time clinging to those specific directives he gave me. During this 
time of going back and forth and wearing a well-trodden path between my office and his, I noticed his paralegal of many years who would dart into his office, ask quick one question, quick single question, and he would give specific directives to her, but it was like shorthand. It would have a case file of one sentence directive, and then she would say, "Uh uh-huh, yes, uh uh-huh, and go. I found over time that I developed this ability to do these things. I learned what these words meant. Over time, I realized that an islet was an irrevocable life insurance trust. And not only did I know what the thing meant or what it did, I knew the, the movable parts in the document. I knew the questions I had to ask my boss to follow up on this specific directive. So he could give me a specific direction and I could follow up. I could know who was going to fund it, where the trust was going to be pointed, who the beneficiaries were. I had these questions ready to ask as I learned more and more of what he was talking about, as I understood more and more of the law. But still there would be times in my work where the black letter law wouldn't dictate what we would do. And then in these times I would have to go back to my boss and find out more information, like who the client was or what we were trying to achieve overall or how he was seeking to serve them. Over time I got a feeling from all these directives of what my boss was trying to achieve in these situations. And the more I knew of the background of the case or the client and what we were trying to achieve or what my boss wanted to do, the less questions I had to ask and the more I could figure these things out on my own. This situation in my practice was not that unlike our scripture this morning. 13 verses of specific directives from God to the people of Israel. Specific things there to do or not to do. Do not spread false reports. Do not accept a bribe. Do not oppress a foreigner. Specific directives for the people of how to act and how to live in the midst of their life. But if we look at the passage this morning only in terms of these laws and miss the journey that the Israelites have been on with God, we miss the whole thing. See, we've been going through this process of exodus. We began with the people of of Israel, the Israelites in Genesis, leaving their land and going to Egypt for food. We went through the journey with them as they were oppressed and brought into slavery under Pharaoh. We saw how God showed up and provided, how he heard their cries, how he delivered them from such an oppressive regime. How he led them through the Red Sea, how he sustained them with food and bread in the desert. And now we get to Sinai where we, reser- where we receive the, this law, these directives, these specifics. But look how God starts off these directives. He too, who has been on the journey with the Israelites, reminds them at the beginning of what he has done. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. Brought you to myself. The whole point of this journey with God and God's people, with God and us, is to bring us to himself. Remember back, the whole request of leaving Egypt was originally, let my people go so they may worship our God in the wilderness. It was to be with God. That's the whole point 
of the process. And we see how God reminds us time and time again who he is before he provides us these commands. As Dinah reminded us last week, he begins the Ten Commandments with a reminder to the people of who he is. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. If these laws that God gives us are so important, then why is it that time and time again he's reminding the people who he is? Well, I want to offer this morning that the laws are really not the most important thing at work in this passage here. See, for the Israelite people, you cannot separate the law that God gives them from the God who gives it. It goes hand in hand. See, this exchange at Sinai is a very intimate and very personal experience. And the people prepare themselves in worship for days before Moses ascends to the mountain. And he spends days on the mountain with God receiving the law. It is this very personal interaction where God is guiding his people. And be mindful that he's not just beginning off with the law. He allows the people to get to know him as redeemer, sustainer. As Savior. Think of the ways that God reaches out to us. When we begin to come to know the love of God, we don't start with this list of commands, of do's and don'ts. No, God approaches us gently. He approaches us out of love. He usually approaches us with his son. God approaches us first with the love of God and then ushers in the terms of this relationship. You see, Sinai is a symbol of matrimony of God and God's people. And these terms of this relationship, this guideline of how to live in this freedom and love of God is extensive. It sounds somewhat like the matrimonial vows that we see taken at a wedding. For richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do you part. These vows are extreme. They're lifelong. They involve all the highs and lows. But you see time and time again, husband and wife at the altar gladly entering into these vows because they know the love of the one they are committing to. They know them deeply and personally, and they have experienced and received this love. And because of that love, they enter into these terms joyfully. The same is true with the law that we look at this morning. We cannot examine and study the law that God gives us until we first know and have received the love of the relationship and presence of God himself. Scripture says we love because he first loved us. We see this example with the Israelites as they journey through the wilderness and out of Egypt. And God has time and time again provided for them and shown them his love. To the point where he asks for these terms of this relationship. And it says, the people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. Like a delighted bride at the altar. She assents to the marital vows because she knows the love of her spouse. We have a friend growing up who is a kindergarten teacher here in town. And consistently... Year in and year out, she would have the highest reading percentage of her students in the entire city. And one day, my dad asked her how this worked. What set her apart from all the other teachers? 
And she said, that's simple. I spend the first few months of the school year making sure the children know that I love them. And once they know that, we are able to accomplish anything. The journey that God calls us to, the life that he puts us on, the commandments that set the parameters and guidelines for this freedom that Dinah told us of last week. We cannot understand or comprehend these assignments, these specific directives, or put them into practice without the love of God. The love of God is the power of God. And applying these commands without that love weighs people down. Jesus warned us of this. He saw the law applied without the love of God. And he cried out to the experts in the law. He said, woe to you, teachers of the law, because you load down people with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. In fact, Jesus reminds us that the scriptures are actually about him. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Coming to him, abiding in his love is actually how Jesus equates the keeping of his commands. In John 15, he says, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and abide in his love. As I read the scripture for this morning, I reflected on the 13 verses and almost how negative they sound. Do not, do not, do not. 13 verses and 13 do not commands in this morning's scripture. And then I thought about the God behind those directives and commands. I thought about the journey that the Israelites had been on. And I thought more of this description. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. When looking at the law that God gives us, it is very dangerous to do so without first going on the journey of knowing and receiving the love of God. So I would suggest two things for us this morning. First, when we think about the commands that God gives us or the things that he specifically calls us to, remind yourself first of who he is and what he has done for you. Think first of him laying the foundations of the earth, creating the stars in the sky, creating the very air that we breathe, and think of the faithfulness of the Lord in your lives. And out of that love, respond to him. And secondly, in dealing with other people, do not address them with the laws or commands of God before they know and have received the love of God. It's much more fruitful to tell people of the love of God, of who he is, of this description we know of him in 1 Corinthians 13 than it is to tell 
them of the commands or the terms of this marital relationship we enter in with him. As we begin to rest and abide in God's love, the commandments become a delightful thing that we assent to out of the joy of our heart. Just as a bride assents to the marital vows of her husband. Amen.